Our next song is a little bit again of a kind of a twist in the album. This one is called I'll Kiss You, was also uh, written by Lopper and Sheer. Sheer, not Sheer. I really dig this song. I really do. It's it's a fun song from the the synths. It's a fun song from the vocals. I love the male backing vocals. Uh, it's just a treat all the way around. The one thing that irritates me about this song is it wasn't a bigger hit. Mm. Um, like there's everything about this to me screams hit. Like it's such a fun, poppy song. Yeah, is it super specific to the era? Sure. But in the era, this should have defined the era. Yeah, and I, I wonder if it's only suffering from the fact that there were so many other songs that were released and were hits that it just didn't stand a chance, you know, against Girls Just Want to Have Fun and Shebop, that maybe maybe there just wasn't the room. I want to say that this was in the movie Love Potion Number 9, but I don't know that that's true. Yeah, I I, I think... You have to be right. Like this album's starting to feel like I I put like Appetite for Destruction up there as one of those albums with like just can't miss song after can't miss song. Yeah. And then, and then there were songs on that album that you're like, how wasn't this a hit? It's like because when you look at what the hits are off of that album and how many there were, it's like oh there can only be so many. Right. And I think I think I think you're absolutely right and spot on with this. It's like if if she could have just released like six or seven hits off of an album. Absolutely, this would be one of them. Yeah, it's just this album is that good that something like this kind of gets lost in time as not being released as a single. And it's such a shame because it is a very good song. I I love all the little surprise sounds that we hear throughout it. That makes it really interesting and, and keeps it moving. And a great vocal. I love her pitch on the song. It's like she's she's so comfortable in that range, but that range is like a whole octave above where most people are singing. It's ridiculous where she's at, but that's just what her voice could do. Oh, and it's it, it's what makes her timeless and how she's survived forty years as an artist. I mean, mm-hmm. Scott, she she's forty years later. She's seventy now. Yeah, right. Like I'm just doing that math really quick. Right, like it's crazy to think about, isn't it? Right, right. Like that math becomes very easy all of a sudden that we're doing a forty year old album. And she was 30 when she recorded that album. Yeah. Oh my God. That's that that's mind blown. Right? Like mind it just blown. kind of hit me because 
I always think of Cindy Lauper of this time, mm-hmm. right? Like she is a very for somebody who sings time after time, she is a very timeless artist. Yeah, and I think the beauty beauty of her is that I think her music is going to be relevant for generations. I really see that being the case. Not all of it. I mean, some of the songs will fade out over time, but I think a lot of her songs will always be but, featured. But, but, okay, okay. Let, let, let's take all of them out of it. True Colors for the LGBTQT community mm-hmm. will always be an anthem. Absolutely. Girls just want to be, girls just want to have fun for teenage girls. Mm-hmm. All, all all types and, and, and just women who want to still feel like teenage girls yeah. will always be an anthem. Yeah. Right. How many, you know, performers have written two anthems for, for different groups of people? Very true. Good point. And on your point about Appetite for Destruction, I 1000% agree with you. I mean, you could have released just about every song on that album and had success with it. That is a a shining album from start to finish. I love that to this day. Look, if you ever do Appetite for Destruction and you don't have me on, I don't think I'll ever be on another one of your podcasts. I I love how you're just like all in or not in at all. This is... (laughs) It's <laughs> great. I uh, I think I already did it. I'll have to double check, but uh, I will make a note. That that, that 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 will be my only way to forgive you. It's like if well, I didn't know you yet. Okay, well that's fine. Yeah, that would be fair. And it, you know what? I mean, maybe I'll even do it again. Who knows? Because well, then well, I can get your opinions on those songs. Either that, or I'm gonna time travel and be like, oh, you know what? You know that guy that you're gonna have on. I'm the guy. <laughs> You know, if uh, if you actually are, have mastered the ability to time travel, I'll do that show as many times as you want. Well, well, you would know because I would show up to your door with some dinosaur veins. Well, it is not on my list of of uh, of albums I have reviewed yet. Is it on my list of albums? It should be on my list of albums to review, if nothing else. Um, yes, it is, and so we will uh, we will have to schedule that. I'm putting your name in there right now. How do you like that? Um, I'm excited. I'll, I'll, I'll be back. That's just how I do things here, folks. Snap decisions. Things have to get done and done to the best of the ability. So I'm looking forward to that. I might have to bump that one up in the schedule just because I think that's going to be a fun album to do. We have two songs left uh, on this one. The next one is a, a, probably the biggest departure and the shortest song. It's only 46 seconds. So let's just listen to the whole damn thing. It's called He's So Unusual, and believe it or not, this is actually a cover.
Now on the uh, on the actual album, uh, if you play the track, it's it's different when you're playing off of MP3s because they're you know they're cut, they're separate file IDs. But if I remember right, that actually went directly into the last song on the album. If you're playing the actual vinyl, so so I there was something I thought about listening to the song. I just had to look it up. Okay, so do you notice how much Cindy Lauper sounds like Betty Boop? The, those were the track. two words that came into my mind, Betty Boop. So, so the original song, this is a, this is a re- remake, right? Right. You're talking about the um, Helen Kane cover? The Helen Kane cover. Helen Kane was the inspiration for Betty Boop. Oh, is that right? I just looked it up. Ah. I just looked it up because I had a suspicion. Because I'm like, why? Why? Like, Cindy has such a unique voice to begin with. But why is she on this particular track that's 46 seconds long? Why is this on here? And it's got to be her tribute to Helen Kane and Betty Boop. It must be. And and that, and we've got like the old vintage record scratch sounds in there that make it sound like it was, you know, played from a, an old vinyl over a radio station and but, but uh, really also, vintage. When you watch the old Betty Boop cartoons... When Betty Boop sings, she has that record scratch because that's what they would do is mm-hmm. she would be singing against a record. Yeah. So even in the cartoon, they have an old record, vinyl record spinning mm-hmm. and you hear that scratch as she's singing over it. Right. So 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 it's, you know, right in the wheelhouse of what she's paying tribute to is brilliant. Yeah. And her voice has that cute factor to it, to where she can pull this off so well. She sounds young. She sounds kiddish, but she also sounds adult at the same time. And I just love that because when he, like the way that she does that segue into the end section, that's just brilliant. We're at the experimental part of this album, as we just established, right? Like mm-hmm. she's she, she's now making these creative decisions and she has us with the first two thirds of, of of this album. So whatever happens on this back back third is all up to her. Of like this is that, that these are the ones for me that I want to put out into the world that earn the she's so unusual title. Yeah, I almost feel like the like somebody else said, "Here's how we're going to do side A. If you agree to that, you can have side B, and you can do whatever you want with that." I almost feel like because they knew they had a couple hits, they knew the album would sell at that point. I have no idea if that's actually the case, but I kind of feel like that's how it could have gone. Like, here's the songs you're going to do. Now, with this side, you can do what you want to do, because it just all of a sudden went from experienced, established songwriting styles to just kind of avant garde, different thing from song to song. But even, even the songs on side A that are hers and our hits um they don't sound like songs that were dictated that you have to do these songs maybe maybe the print song yeah but everything else like everything on this feels like a very deliberate decision mm-hmm. um the placement of the songs the style of the song all of it like where, where, where the fast songs hit where the slow songs hit where the experimental songs hit yeah this is crafted like a sculpture, right? Mm-hmm. Like everything is so deliberately in its place. And if it were moved, it would feel out of place. 
I feel it's it was very much structured like a house of cards. You know, if one thing was out of place, the whole structure would just collapse on itself. And I think the placement of the songs, the flow of the album is just as brilliant as the songs themselves. I mean, this album has just a perfect flow to it. Hey, Scott, you already have the title of best looking guy on this podcast. <laughs> and, and you don't also have to get best analogy too. like, like, <laughs> like leave some room for the rest of us here. I don't know. Your Spielberg analogy was on point. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm picking up the scraps, my friend. <laughs> You're doing just fine. Let's check out the last track on the album. This is simply titled, Yeah, Yeah. that they're using for the lead is really interesting because it really has a 60s feel to it when since we're really just kind of being introduced into the pop music world but the rest of the song sounds really modern and i like that combination of the two it's weird because this song to me feels like it could just as easily go on a b-52s album mm, good call right like like, like it's it's a Cindy Lauper song and i'm it's not homage. They're both new age, new new wave, and they're they're, they're both do doing doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. But it would be just as fitting on that on one of their albums as it is here. And what she's doing here is a lot of fun and very vibrant. And you know, it's a great way to send us off after what she's given us so far. Yeah. Um, especially like the last couple of tracks have been experimental, mm-hmm. and this is more of that, like you said, like that sixties vibe. You know that, but 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 with that modern twist to it, right? Yeah, and, and I think it's a very fun way to send us off on what has been an incredible debut album. I would agree, and and you're right. It's very playful. There's a lot of little voices that come into your left ear and then your right ear. It's very playful. That little monkey impersonation she did at the beginning was pretty fun. Um, yeah, I could see the B fifty two is doing a song like this. They just would have had taller hair. Yeah. Yeah, tall, tall, taller hair and, and and maybe not as a shimmery of a dress. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a fun song though. I I really think it is. A, it it ends in a way that makes me want more Cyndi Lauper right away. And this would have been the only album out at the time. So immediately I'm like, all right, just put it back on side one because I I'm not done with this girl. Like it it leaves you happy and light and bouncy, and you just you're you want more. At the time, I didn't understand why the girls were listening to Cindy Lauper so much. I was, I was really big into probably Michael Jackson and Huey Lewis at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I've gotten older, I've really grown with a huge appreciation 
for this album. And, and to think that this is her debut. Yeah. Right. Like, like, like this is an album three, right? The, right. Co- the confidence this album has is just so mature and impressive. And we say that with somebody with such a youthful energy in youthful voice, but I think this is a very mature album from an mm. artist. Yeah, it definitely has the the feel of experience. And maybe part of that was because there were a lot of the songs were co-written or written by other people. So they were a little more established and she did them her own way. But certainly the choices to work with those songs or, you know, the, the ones that she co-wrote, um, she definitely knew what she was doing by this point. Oh, yeah, 100%. And um, I... I'm really glad that you invited me on to talk about this album. Like I know we talked about just doing a lot of things, but I'm glad that this was one of the options. This isn't something I normally get a chance to talk about on podcasts. Yeah. And you know, I've though I've listened to this album before, I, I listened to it a couple of nights ago just to re-familiarize myself with some of the deeper cuts, and I forgot how good this album is, like just mm-hmm. top to bottom. There isn't a song that you can take off of this and say, oh, that makes it better. Or a song you could put onto this and be like, oh, that makes it better. Right. Uh, However, like being who I am and throwing the curveballs I throw, I threw you a curveball at the beginning of the night. That you did. That you did. And I've got it queued up, ready to go. But before we play that, uh, I think you're absolutely right. I think that... uh, we're also, though, looking back through the ears and, and experience and maturity that we didn't have when we first got to know this album. I and mean, we could listen to it as a as a fan of music. But now we're experienced listeners. We're, you know, I've certainly grown as a writer and a performer. Um, your tastes have changed and grown over the years. And I love that we can go back to this album that we got to know 40 years ago and listen to it and enjoy it just as much as we did. And I think there's some element of it that's nostalgia, but I think there's also a lot of it is just because it's that damn good. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it came up tonight. Like the next album I want to do with you is Appetite for the Destruction. You couldn't get far enough apart on, on, <laughs> right. on, on, on these two debut albums of different artists. But one thing they have in common is that they're masterpieces. Yeah. Right, yep. they're, 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 t- they're both timeless and they're both masterpieces, and they've both really, you know, forty years after the fact, thirty-five years after the fact, you know, stood the test of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. Now, before we talk about the last song that we're going to play today, I'm just going to surprise everybody and play it, and then we'll talk about afterwards why you wanted to include that on today's show. So here is Mystery Song.
of a return back to that uh, Caribbean feel with the marimbas there, very beautifully played. I love this song. I mean, this to me, when I think of Cyndi Lauper, I just think of fun music. That's the first term that comes into my head. Then I start breaking it down to songs, you know, individually and how like all through the night and that are, are a little more serious. But the first thing I think of as Cyndi Lauper is just fun. And this is a perfect example. This is obviously from the uh, from the movie Goonies. It's called Goonies Are Good Enough. I don't know why R is in quotes. The letter R is in quotes, kind of like Toys R Us, but without it being a backwards R. Uh, I don't know if it was a play on that, but uh, yeah, it's a good song. So John, why did you pick this one? You're uh, muted there. So 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 I picked this one because because it it was a little out of out of time and out of place. It didn't land on a Cindy Lauper album, so I felt like it was fair game. Mm-hmm. And fair. Um, the 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 single was released on the heels of all the singles of She's So Unusual. So it's almost like it's part of that album without being part of, like it's an unofficial part of that album, like a bonus track. It was yeah. released as part of the Goonies movie. The music video, which is one of the things that got me into Cindy Lauper even more as a kid, you know, features Cindy in the role of the Goonies being chased by the Fratellis. I think she's being chased by wrestlers, actually, mm-hmm. um, in the roles of Fratellis, but on the sets of, of the Goonies. I'm pretty sure, like, Nikolai Volkov and a couple of others, probably Captain Lou Albano are all in, in this video. Um, but I did show you. I have a a button of, from the Goonies. Mm-hmm. This button is from 1985. Wow! When I, when I went to go see the Goonies in a movie theater, they were giving out these buttons, and I still have my button from that. Huh. So why I wanted to talk about this particular song tonight and review this particular song is this song. You know, you want to talk about things that mean something to somebody. Mm-hmm. Right. And like we've been talking about Cindy Lauper all night and kind of the the caveat or the bonus track or whatever you want to call it is I've been carrying Cindy Lauper around with me since 1985. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and this button is proof of that. Yes. Yes, it is. That's a and it's in really good condition, I have to say. I mean, sure, there's a little bit of rust on the back, but I mean, it's that's going to happen. But that's in really good shape. No, and I, I showed you the back of it to show you the age, to show you this isn't like, oh, I went on eBay and bought some new button. Right. Yeah. It's not a replica by any means. I mean, that is vintage right there. Yeah. Uh, according to Wikipedia, there was, um, it was Captain Lou Albano, Roddy Piper, uh, remember uh, Cowgirl Wendy Richter, uh, yeah. the fabulous Mula, the Iron Sheik, Nikolai Volkov, uh, Classy Freddie Blassie. Uh, Andre the Giant, it says part two only, uh, and Steven Spielberg. Yeah, and I, I remember that like this was a very special music video that was broken up into two parts. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the, the second part's like them getting rescued or whatever. Um, I remember as a kid, that was like a big deal. But the song is just incredible. And that she's singing the song... For look, I know people who who love the Goonies. I do know some people who don't love the Goonies, mm-hmm. right? Which I I don't understand those people, but I know people who don't love the Goonies. But it was such a seminal movie of the eighties, and and that group of kids at the time um, have all moved on to great careers. Um, oh yeah, Sean Astin was one of them. Sean Astin, Corey Feldman, yeah, and um, then he he did adult uh, Goonies in Lord of the Rings. 
and, and Josh Brolin did a goat Goonies as Thanos. That's right. Yeah. And right. then, well, then Sean Astin went on to do uh, Stranger Things, which was really nice to see him in that role as brief as it was. But yeah, the, that, this was another movie where just like they hit the right cast and that cast all went on to do something more. You know, it wasn't just like a one uh, appearance. But interestingly, the uh, it, it it was not part of even the re, uh, anniversary editions of uh, She's So Unusual, which I would have thought it might have been. But it was released as a seven-inch single uh, with uh, The Goonies Are Good Enough on one side and a song called What a Thrill on the flip side. I don't know. Was that from the movie? I don't know. I don't know. think it was. I think it was just a bonus track. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not as aware of that particular track, um, but it, it almost seemed unfair that we were doing all the songs we were doing, of a she, she's so unusual, mm-hmm. and I wasn't gonna get a chance to talk about this song or this movie, and I do, I, I do a, a, a movies and and music podcast with Corey and and I'm like I got a chance to do one with Scott kind of as a bonus track that's right yeah uh interestingly they also released because this is what we were talking about earlier this ties in they did a 12 inch U.S. single where side one was Goonies are good enough dance remix which is five minutes and 25 seconds the original song is three minutes and 27 seconds so you know they've just stretched out and repeated parts for for (laughs) dance and then the the flip side was Goonies are good enough. The dub version, which is five minutes and 29 seconds. So they found another four seconds to throw in there to make the dub version even longer. This was common back in the 80s, though, because Madonna did it. Uh, even with Las La Bonita, I had a, a 12 inch with uh, I think it was the, an extended version of the song on side A and then like a, a dub mix on side B. Uh, then they released a third version, which uh, in the UK was the 12-inch single of the dance remix, the dub remix, and added What a Thrill. So they got kind of the whole uh, thing, except for the original version of the song, which was only released on that initial uh, 7-inch 45. Um, pretty interesting history. I'm sure it's appeared on Best Ofs and things like that since then, but the original release was only on single and probably the film soundtrack. Yeah, which which is why I really wanted to cover it because I didn't, I knew this was one that you wouldn't normally cover. And I'm like, you know, you, you know, if I could squeeze this one on with you, then, then this, this could be our moment. It's our Absolutely. Time. I love it. And yeah. And I appreciate you uh, reaching out on this one. I have been known to include a, a bonus track here and there. I probably would not have thought of this because I was thinking that the Goonies wasn't until a couple years later, but you're right. Uh, well, it was, it, it was 85. No, it was 85, but singles, like 83 was the release of she's so unusual but between 83 and 85 is when the singles get released right exactly yeah so 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 like that's what i was saying about this being on the heels of all those other singles i i forgot which was released before this but there was a single released in 85 before this Mm -hmm. of she's so unusual and then this was released so you you know it's it's right at what's causing like her peak fame Mm -hmm. or peak debut fame she was on. She was doing everything. I mean, she was on fire. She had the wrestling thing. She had "She's So Unusual." All the hit singles off of that. Then she's doing music for the Goonies. Like this was such a great period in her career, and what she's gone on to do, build on that fame, take it to let's make the world a better place, and and do more than just be an artist. Uh, how can you not just love and respect that? No, and she she's such a tremendous artist. 
and a humanitarian. And look, I don't I don't know Cindy Lauper personally. I know one person who's worked with her mm-hmm. and worked with her as a child and has nothing but sparkling things to say about her. But from the outside looking in, I see tremendous class. I see I see so like I can only hope to carry myself that way for the next 25 years or so. Yeah, she's definitely one of those people I think that sets a standard as a as a person and not just as a as a musician or as a writer or as a performer. She's one of those people to be looked up to in a lot of ways whether people realize it or not. I think a lot of people might uh look at her and go, "Well, she's weird or she's known for being weird or she's out there or she's different." You know what? Some of those people are the ones that are willing to step forward and do things that need to be done while everyone else is just too afraid to or too insecure to do. And I I love her for that. I absolutely love her for that. And I now have two degrees of separation from her, which I didn't know I had five minutes ago. Well, well, and I think I think it says a lot about a debut album when the fourth or fifth most popular song off of the album is my personal favorite of all time. Yeah, right. Like, like when when you can sit there and say like you have a personal favorite, and it's not in the top four or five most popular songs on the album. That speaks to, to to the power of that album. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because, you know, we were talking uh, earlier today and and I have to say now two albums that we've talked about today would make this list. I, I'm not big on the Desert Island game because there's no power on the island and no one ever talks about that. And you also don't have a record player. But I would say two of my Desert Island albums would be She's So Unusual and Appetite for Destruction. And And, and as we were talking earlier today, I had first of all, I had to look up what a Desert Island album was because I'm just that dumb. Um <laughs> you're not that but, dumb. You just didn't haven't ever played the game. But 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 I also feel like this is a dessert album. Mm, in that it is tasty. I don't know that this particular album I'm going in for a big meal all the time, right? Like Appetite for Destruction, I feel like is, is an entree album. And I think I think uh, that's pretty awesome. I, I was you, just he he stumbled because I was just showing him that I had the vinyl. Yeah, he has he has, he has the vinyl, and I had to squint squint my old man eyes to to, to make it out. Um, <laughs> but but it's it's pretty pretty remarkable for me. This is a dessert album in that I won't eat it all the time, but when I when I do eat it, I'm going to indulge and probably overindulge in it. Yeah, I feel like this is one where I feel like I might just want to come in for a bite, but then I'm like, I need another bite. Okay, I want another bite. Okay, I want another bite. Yeah. And I, I'm going to end up listening to almost, if not the entire album, every time I'm just like, I just want to hear this song. Like, I just want to hear I'll Kiss You, and then I'll just end up listening to the whole damn thing. So so, so what you're saying is, well, it might not be a desert island. It's definitely a desert island for you. 100%. And I will, even being diabetic, I will gobble this down. I'll take extra insulin, whatever I have to do. Uh, not a problem for me whatsoever. Thank you so much, John, for for coming on and going through this album with me. This is definitely one that is a personally very important to me. I'm really got, glad we got to do this together because it's obviously very important to you. Oh, me, me, me too. I'm very grateful that you've had me on and we had a chance to spend this time together ce- celebrating this artist. Absolutely. Um, like, you, you know, thank you, Cindy Lauper, for giving us something to celebrate. Well, you know, and there. while we're on that note, before we wrap things up, I do want to point out something else. 
I also want to thank the record company and the producer and the people that made the decision to give her a chance to do this album, because this could have been a pretty big risk to take an artist who had moderate success in a band, let her be weird, let her be herself. And they might have seen some marketing value with the whole WWF tie-in and all that. But at the end of the day, they fronted this album. They're the reason that she was able to do it. And so I'm grateful to the people that made those decisions too, because this is a pretty damn good album and a pretty important piece of music history. Yeah, and I, I actually think that the wrestling tie-in came after the release of the like after that popularity. Oh, was it? Okay, I wasn't yeah. sure what the timeline was on all of that. Yeah, I thought, I, I thought they might have been doing something leading up to the release of the album, but I wasn't sure what the the time no, was because, because the rock and wrestling's like eighty four, eighty five. So I oh. think that that's yeah. Oh, okay. But, I thought it was around the time of the album because Lou Albano was in the videos, and I had recognized him right off the bat. Well, Lou um, Albano was was a wrestler, right, or a manager. Like yeah. prior prior to this, like he was a wrestler from the seventies or a manager from the seventies, but um, the the actual you know connection with the rock and wrestlings that's that that that's like an eighty four eighty five thing. You know what? Now that you're saying that, I that's that's right because I think I saw the video for um, "Girls Just Want to Have Fun." And I recognized him from wrestling. And then when she showed up in WWF, I went, oh, that makes sense. They know each other. So that does that does ring a bell. I forgot all about that until you said that. Yeah. So 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 I think that this was the record company, like you were giving them credit. I think they were taking an even bigger swing than you were giving them credit for. Very possibly. She she didn't have that. She had some, like you said, mild popularity and mild notoriety coming off coming off of her band mm-hmm. but that was about it and she yeah. was she she was on the cusp of 30 they took a risk and look everyone was rewarded including most of all the fans and to put it in perspective for wwe fans there was no wrestlemania when this album came out rick flair was wrestling but there was no triple h <laughs> No, no, and 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 to really put it in perspective, Cindy Lauper's connection, you know, with the whole Wendy Richter and and, and Fabulous Moolah rivalry and and things like that, so that she gets involved in, and, and mm-hmm. Hogan and Piper, she gets in between. That's what leads to the popularity to help WrestleMania actually happen. Yeah, right. Like wrestling, mm-hmm. wrestling gets big enough, and and. Shows enough of a proving ground that they might make some money on a pay per view because they they get some kind of audience on MTV. They had no USA, they had no Monday Night Raw, they had no Saturday Night Main Event on on NBC yet. None of that happened yet. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. And was 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 this all? Was it a Vince idea? Do you know? Yeah, like it was definitely a Vince cross promotional idea mm-hmm. um or at least it was an idea brought to him that he you know capitalized on yeah but um it's very much part of that how wwf was built storyline mm-hmm. you know is Vin- vince gets the company from his 
his father or buys the company from his father. He 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 starts, you know, knocking out all the other territories, and then uses MTV in his connection with with, with you know, rock stars, specifically Cindy Lauper, mm-hmm. um, to help build the brand. Yeah. Right. And I'm not trying to make Cindy Lauper seem like she's more important than she is. She is that important to wrestling. Right. And, yeah. and, and I've seen documentaries with Hulk Hogan. I've seen documentaries on the WWF that put that importance on her. Mm-hmm. Right. So she's, I don't see, you know, Cindy Lauper in an interview bragging about how she helped build, you know, WWF to the point that. It got, but I do see yeah. WWF producing its own documentaries. And but she's not that. she's not a braggy person. Though. She'll talk about things she's proud of, like you know, going to to petition the president for a bill to pass for something. Like she'll talk about that, but I've never once heard her speak in a way that she's like, "I did this." She's like always come with like a humble approach. You know, we're we're working on this. We're trying to do this. But it's always we. It's never me. You know, at least from the interviews I've heard. We have been inferring a lot about her character. And I think something like this speaks directly to her character. Yeah, for sure. For sure it does. Well, guys, I've had a great time. John, I hope you've had a great time. And if you guys uh, have enjoyed uh, listening to John speak as much as I have, check him out on a little podcast we do called Backtracks Aerosmith Revisited. And he also does with our co-host on that show, Corey Morissette, another show called Backtracks Theme Music. We've talked about it on the show tonight. Great, fun show, just a relaxed review of movies and the music that makes it into the movie. Uh, A lot of fun. And I love working with you guys uh, since I've joined the Aerosmith show. Thank you guys so much for having me on. It's it's been a blast. And other than that night that we had to play Sheila, uh, I think it's been a good show. I, Scott, you keep saying thank you so much for having us having me on. You're part of the family. Like at this point, we could not have you on. It's like one day you showed up and you moved in, and we couldn't kick you out, and we didn't want to kick you out, <laughs> right? Like that's that's more or less like what it was. Like all of a sudden you were there, and it's like oh, and now Scott's part of the, part of the family. Right? Well, in the beginning, I stayed in the guest house, and then I moved into the main house. I I I, I honestly feel like you stole my bedroom, and <laughs> and like and, 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 and like now I'm sleeping on the couch. What was it? I, I can't remember what character it was. Now it was somebody talking about. Was it Homer Simpson or? No, it was it was Michael Scott. I think on the Office when he said, you know, we we had a foreign exchange student and. And uh, he was he was supposed to just borrow my pants, but he ended up taking them. Something like that just reminded me of that when you said that. But you're, good you're also a little bit like Laszlo from uh, Real Genius, where you kind of live in the closet and, and you do your own thing, but you add so much to what we do. Like Corey, Corey and I, look, we started that Aerosmith podcast, but the element that you add, and Corey always credits you for your musical knowledge. I don't think that you get enough credit for the wonder and 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 the the um the new vision that you get because where Corey and I have listened to Aerosmith hundreds of times, a lot of these songs you're listening to for the very first time, and there's an excitement in getting that reaction out of somebody. Yeah. And then you you're coupling it, getting that reaction out of somebody with such a wide berth of 
musical knowledge and understanding. Um, I think that your insights are invaluable on that show. I really appreciate that. And and it's, you know, I've I've kind of backed off on picking on Steven Tyler because I've just kind of come to accept that if he's there, he's going to make sounds regardless of what's going on in the song. He just needs to let you know he's there. Well, in fairness, like it's not his band, but it's kind of his band. Yeah. Well, I, you know, it's it, the front man and the guitar player are usually the ones credited with uh, being the band and everyone else is just kind of there doing their part. But I really feel like Aerosmith is a everybody's substantial in that band. No, and I feel like as much as we can pick on Steven Tyler for doing the overshadowing bit, especially on certain tracks, mm-hmm. I think it's a credit to him that everybody feels like they're a major part of that band. I think it's a credit yeah. to the whole band to be that talented. Mm-hmm. But for him to have that large charisma and presence and still step back enough to give everybody else room to breathe and shine. I think that's a credit to him. Yeah. And the one thing I haven't seen that I would have expected, at least when on some of the live songs that we're covering is for Joe Perry to go, um, my solo is when I'm supposed to shine and you're supposed to take a break. And they don't do the volume war thing. Like Joe really turns up to play his solo to drown out whatever noises Steven's going to make. I would have expected that at some point. And so far I haven't heard it. I don't think you will. I don't know. Like uh, we've talked about, like I'm not familiar with the newest stuff. Mm-hmm. So, so who who knows? Like we're both going to be in in kind of surprise mode for some tracks. Yeah, it's it's fun, I, and I love learning about the band and really understanding why the songs were done the way they were because this is what they were going through at the time. I mean, they've had a pretty tumultuous history. And understanding where they were at when they made the album or when they did that performance has really made a big difference in my understanding of the band and uh, makes me appreciate what they were able to create under those circumstances a lot of times. So check those shows out, guys. As always, I've got links in the show notes. They're also on the website. On my website, scotthaskin.com, I've got a whole page dedicated to the Aerosmith podcast. What do you got to say, John? I just, as you were wrapping up, I just wanted to tie it back into Cindy Lauper because we were ending on an Aerosmith note. Yeah. And December 31st, 1986, at the DCU Center, Cindy Lauper and Aerosmith performed a show together. Just them? Just them. Wow. Yeah. That's an interesting bill. So what tour would Aerosmith have been on at the time? In 86? I think that's kind of like in their in between right it's like right before they're these 88 they they do um permanent vacation so it's kind of like they're it's probably a show or two that the run dmc resurgence led to because run dmc had just released walk this way right yeah so it's probably like the very beginning of that resurgence okay interesting well that's not a bill i would have put together no, but I, I just I, I just cross-referenced them on Google. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to bring it back to Cindy Lauper because I, I felt weird ending Cindy Lauper on an Aerosmith note. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm like, did they ever do anything together? They did. And I, I wonder if that wasn't a, okay, you guys got to get back in the limelight. Here's a really hot act that's doing well. Let's have you guys do a show with her, you know, and just kind of warm them back into the world again. Well, well, that's probably a good thing for people to tweet at you and to tell you more about. 
Yes, they should, especially now that I've deleted my Twitter accounts. All three of them oh. gone. Bye-bye. I do not miss them. However, I am on Instagram, I'm on my website, and I'm on Facebook, as, as uh, you guys all know, because I put the links in the show notes. So there you have it. John, thanks so much, man, for coming on. I know I've, I you feel like I thanked you a lot, but it's because I really appreciate it. I appreciate you, buddy, and I will be back almost anytime. You have my couple of caveats. You can go back and listen to the show and hear what my caveats are. Oh, I know. I know exactly what they are. Don't you worry. <laughs> and for you guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. As always, I'll be back next week with another episode. And, uh, you know, we're taping this a little bit early. So who knows? Maybe I'll have an interview or something else going on on the Saturday show, which uh, happens from time to time. In the meantime, take care of yourselves. Do something good for yourselves. Do something good for each other. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>